0: Good afternoon, beautiful people. I'm keeping all my content free of charge so there's complete transparency so everyone can get the benefit of all the information. This is a completely independent podcast, but any monetary support is greatly appreciated. Click the support this podcast link at the end of the episode description for more details. Now back to the show. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. We're joined by a very special guest. Their name is Jasmine Sherman, and they're running for president of the United States um, as an independent under the Unicorn Party platform. And I'm going to learn a lot about the Unicorn Party and um, exactly what Jasmine's affiliation is as far as political spectrum. But we know that Jasmine is not running as a R, and that's what we do on the platform we try to highlight people outside of the duopoly, people that I think that are really more concerned about the issues. Um, Jasmine has a 501c nonprofit organization called Greater Charlotte Rise. Um, They're based in Mecklenburg County in North Carolina, which is the Charlotte, um, North Carolina area. And um, as far as I know, Jasmine has a degree, a business degree from University of Phoenix and is originally from New York City, New York. And I just want to say welcome to the show, and thanks for accepting that invitation.
1: Thank you for having me. And you did your homework. Oh, my gosh. I do. I even have a master's degree from the University of Phoenix, which is, like, one of the hardest schools to graduate from. Like, they got sued for it, literally. Um, And I do have a 501c3. Our focus is on ending houselessness. Right now, we currently support 28% of the houseless population in Mecklenburg County. And I started running for president when our local, um, when our mayor refused to sell me a piece of property. So I tried to over, go over that head and tried to reach out to the governor and his hands were tied. They couldn't force the sale of an old jail to house people, to have it converted into housing, they wouldn't do it. And so I decided that it was time to end houselessness, like put myself out of business. I'm done,
0: I'm good. I'm curious, um, I've heard it on several um interviews i think i listened to one of your interviews you did with redneck rising or something it was mm-hmm. like a, a, a more of a podcast but w- how do you distinguish um houselessness versus homelessness is, is it just a semantics thing yeah, or do you so, take a distinction
1: no no so houselessness is a more PC way to explain it because even if a person is living in the tent that's their home that's their private space right so it, that they don't have a, a home where their stuff is or their emotions are. It's just they literally just lack the house.
0: I got you. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Okay, thanks for clarifying that distinction. Um, I guess I want my audience to get to know you more um, on a personal level before we transition into your your actual platform and stuff. But I just, I'm just curious about your backstory. Like, what is Jasmine Sherman's backstory?
1: Um, that's a really cool question. I've never been asked what my backstory was. I. I want to say I started in a traditional two-parent household. Um, My parents, because I say traditional, they had some beliefs. And so my sister and I ended up in the foster care system. I ended up graduating from high school at 16 from foster care. Um, And later, I got back with my biological family members, and we're a close unit now. But there was a period where I was houseless myself sleeping in a a college campus in Boston during the summer to try to stay warm and then got apartment and worked my way up through community college, which is part of the reason I had to go to the University of Phoenix at the time, because um, the social worker that they gave you for foster care was just like, this is where you're going to go if you know, and the choice was made for me, but I stuck with it and I was successful and I got into helping my community. Um, because I was protecting, um, I started doing abortion assistance. So like people who would need to get escorted into abortion abortion uh, clinics, I started to participate in that. And more and more, I ended up uh, doing that and getting a little bit of notoriety where I lived for that to the point. So where like I ended up going to trial with Flip Benham. Um, he was the man who converted Roe from Roe versus Wade to Christianity. Uh, with a stalking mm-hmm. charge. So we went to trial and everything. And then um, we thought, well, maybe that's a little bit too too dangerous, so we chill out. And I got into working with the houseless uh, community. But then that proved to just be as interesting as well, because my clients are sleeping outside, so we got to sleep outside. My clients need shelter, so we open up a houseless shelter. And then it just built from there and built to where I am now.
0: Awesome. Um, so you're originally from New York? Mm-hmm. And do you have, at what point, did you live outside of the country?
1: I did live outside the country. I was living in South Korea, uh, working, and I got into a little bit of trouble in South Korea uh, with the North Korean government, but I'm back. I got back into America um, thanks to the embassies. I was banned from both countries for seven years, but that is all cleaned up. But I have lived abroad. It's the best. It's really where I got to understand that living in America is, a, is not, the, it's not the deal that they sell us, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Like, it's
1: like those people who go on to American Idol that think they can sing, but no one's ever told them they can't hit the notes. In America, we are given the idea and the, the emotional support to believe that we are the greatest and the best and the fastest, but really our education is, is low. Our, mm-hmm. um, our people are living below the poverty line. We are, we are essentially a fancy third world country. Um, it's just that we have a lot of money and wealth that we hoard, which makes us look better.
0: Yes. Um, and going to that point that you make about these uh, misconceptions of, um, it's really just propaganda, nationalistic propaganda mm-hmm. is what it is, because um, you said yourself on an episode that I was listening to a couple of days ago, I think you said that that's, like the average American has a fifth grade comprehension level mm-hmm. when it comes yes. to just like, they don't even understand just like the way things are written in the constitution and stuff. Correct.
1: So the average literacy, well, it's even, it's, it's even more embarrassing than that's so the average American has a fifth grade reading level, but then 17% of Americans do not know how to read at all. Not a paragraph wow. and not a sentence at all. That's, that's, you know, that's really hurting us. And those people, unfortunately, are doing a better job of spreading a little bit. They're being misled. So we have right now in our country a lot of anti-intellectualism. You know, um, there are people who are like, well, you don't know anything, you just went to college. That shouldn't be a concern, right? And so those people are a little bit embarrassed, and then our people who are educated are a little bit classist. So we have a whole batch of of ignorance on on all the sides. And what we all need to do is understand that everyone needs education. You you never stop learning, right? So anyone who currently can't read, it's never too late to start reading. And anyone that has been able to read and has that privilege should understand that they should A, consider volunteering and helping more people to read, and B, just be better people because you have more education. We expect more from you in terms of being an empathetic human being, just because you, we know you know.
0: Yes, I totally agree. And um We talked off camera for a few minutes and that was the part, that was the inspiration for me starting the forum because I'm in academia, I'm a professor by trade, but I work with a lot of snobbish people. I'm just gonna be honest with you. And these people are very classist people. And that's when I kind of came to the realization that I had to exit the democratic party a long time ago because um, the predominant um, group of my friends tend to be white liberals. And I think they have very classist attitudes. Um, a lot of the social issues that they um, they don't want to go into detail with, they sort of put them aside. And that's when I that's when I start to get upset because I can I see these patterns happening. The same people that they claim are ignorant about things, And I see that same ignorance just popping up in these bubbles, these academic bubbles, and it becomes like a glass ceiling mentality. Where we're talking about, yes, yeah, sure, we debate books and literature and stuff all day. But what about the actual people on the ground that are suffering and stuff? That's when I was like, I have to create something to where it's a bridge between, sure, it's great that you research things. I research things like this. We write books and stuff, that's what we do. But at the end of the day, if we're gonna advocate real social issues, we have to be able to communicate with the people on the streets. Like we come from those communities. Like, And I think people have this attitude where it's like, just because you have a PhD, you don't forget where you come from. Like you still have to keep that advocacy and that communication like consistent. It can't just be behind closed doors in your little committee rooms. It has to be on the streets, it has to be in the the local, the city councils, everything. It just can't be one, one way to do things. And I like the way um, you express your views about things. Um, your website's a beautiful website. Um, I've looked over it pretty carefully and we're gonna talk about some of those issues. But, um, I want to say something about just these misconceptions about the terms socialism, for instance. Um, Cuba has ninety nine percent literacy rate. Mm-hmm. but we trash Cuba so much, a lot of the propaganda from the u s. And now, lots of countries that have great literacy rates. They don't have the same economic system, but the same, but they're getting things done in their way. And um, I would argue that things would be even more open in Cuba if we didn't have the embargo imposed on Cuba. Yes. Um so it's just there's lots of ways you can look at things and um and and just reading your side and stuff I understand that you definitely have a grasp of the world and how it functions but, and I just don't understand why these views that should be implemented here are so um misconstrued for political agendas and stuff when we really need everyday people kind of solving everyday problems. Like we need people more reflective of the society that we live in as opposed to people, as I call them, the student class type people. This this whole conglomeration of the 1% that basically just get in the office and they do what they want to do.
1: So I do want to say Cuba exports doctors. We export weapons and movies. Cuba exports. Doctors. My aspiration for the United States of America. And I'll fix my little bonnet on this one. We need to be a place that exports doctors. We need to be a place that provides the world with solutions. If we're gonna get involved at all, and before we can do that, we must clean up our own home. There are places in the United States of America where people cannot access a doctor in their county. And for people who don't understand what that means, some people live in towns. Some people live in cities. Counties are made up of towns and cities, if not multiple towns and cities. That's how big this situation is. We in the United States are mocking countries where they export doctors. During COVID, Cuba sent out surgeons. Cuba sent out general practitioners around the world to help people fight the virus. This is something where I say our propaganda hurts us. Our pride hurts us. We have politicians who do go into Washington, D.C., and they try to play 100% by the rules. And because you're playing by the rules, then that means you're eating some of that tainted fruit. You're eating some of that tainted fruit. And by the time it's your time to execute or provide, you, you're you just as tainted. You've taken in all of that toxicity and that poison. And so you're just a part of this, this, the, the cog, right? For anybody that's like, well, there's a two-party system and we can't, you get what you get because that's all you've done. To get something you have never had before, you must do something you have never done before. Us, running for office this way, going into Washington as a brand new party. I have no ties, no agreements, no backroom deals with anyone. So my job in that meeting is not to make friends. My job is to get the work done through everything. And so when we have politicians that go into Washington to play by the rules or to do what the others do, they become the people they went to get rid of. And so we have to start holding everyone accountable. And the way that I think this will work is if we do a giant reset, have an age cap have term limits all at the same time and trigger new elections. A, a whole new body of humans, you know, just throw out all the dirty bath water. A whole new body of fresh people teach the entire country, our elected officials, our citizens. We teach everybody the goddamn constitution or and, and, as I would propose, make a new one that is inclusive of everyone. And for anybody that's listening and going, well, that can't happen. It can't happen because you say it can't happen. This whole country, Turtle Island, is all made up, stolen and everything. Your ancestors didn't pay rent. Your ancestors didn't pay for water you know what i'm saying and if it was public money that gave us electricity so there's no reason that we the people cannot say you know what this was a great experiment but now we see our infrastructure is crumbling and it's not working for us i'm um, so i went on a little rant my bad no, no,
0: no, you good. Be no,
1: the no, no.
0: this is supposed to be about you anyway so no no you do your thing that's all good um we're here to sit and learn from jasmine sherman today and um Again, this is already becoming a great episode 45. I knew it was going to be a great episode because um, your views are just very dynamic, and I think they're fresh perspectives. Um, I did want to talk about something that you brought up about uh, what would be that age cap. I agree that there needs to be some kind of a limit um, when it comes to terms um, and, and age and and people are probably accuse you of being like discriminatory because people. Hey, are- I'm
1: ready. I can. I'm okay <laughs> being discriminatory. The same. But what with would, what mean, would be
0: the age limit, and what would be the caps?
1: Sixty-five is the age cap, and the term limits that I would be proposing is the exact bill that was presented on the floor by Ted Cruz and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm. I'm not changing a thing. Those two people from two different groups got together, and they said that's what they want. We should do that. The like, why should I reinvent the wheel? Let's do that. Like that's what I would sign into office.
0: Do you notice how they died that conversation? Though no, I remember, I remember exactly when that happened, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, Ted Cruz and AOC joined together," and it's like you didn't hear it, hardly anything about it afterwards.
1: But that's because, like, he he wants to be, he wanted to try to be president, and she, I don't really, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock her, right? Like, she did what she's doing, and I'm nobody to talk about anybody's protest. There's no wrong way to protest, in my opinion, but. I can't say what her motivations were. I do hate that she stops talking about it. It might have been because like the Green New Deal became a bigger thing that people were talking about and it got diverted. But I do wish that both her and Ted Cruz would begin telling people this is here. You're not happy. I'm I'm loving my odds, though. Joe Biden just said he's going to run again. Do you know how old he is?
0: 80, almost 80.
1: So I will be the youngest person. Like I'm already successfully getting on ballots. We are already getting our signatures. We are getting ready to hit the road on June 23rd. Our first, hi, we're here world will be in Kentucky. Um, Like there's a whole tour organized. So we will be the younger people. Like this is like, I will be 40, like when that happens. So I will be here and of the same body and mind as most of the people. And I think that that's going to be a great advantage that I have for me. I know how to use my computer without an aid.
0: And I was listening to something that you were saying in an interview, and you mentioned that you're already on four state ballots. We have been, we started,
1: we started this early, this process. As soon as a candidate portal is open, we are doing our due diligence to be on that ballot. It has come to my attention, and I don't mean to poop on anybody's parade, but Luckily, the Green Party has been trying for so many years. It is a lot easier for independents to get on ballots. So I will give them their kudos because they did put in 20 years of work to get us here. But all you need now is the signatures. And with social media, it's a lot easier to get the people you need in one place, in one place to sign that form. So
0: See? that's all you need is signatures as signatures an independent to get on ballots.
1: Signatures and money. That's it. And what we've done that other groups have not done is we started our own political party. So I do not have to compete with uh, other Democrats. I do not have to compete with other Republicans because I'm a unicorn and we've already had our our committee. Um, We've already had our convention. I got nominated and we keeping it moving. Like that's how we're able to be ahead of the crowd. So I understand because there are people like, well, nobody knows you yet. If I get on all 50 states' ballots as we're doing that, then everyone will have to talk to me because I'm on the ballot. I don't need, like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's how it will come together. My job is to get on every state ballot, treat every state like the state it is, and work differently. New Orleans only wanted, I'm not, I'm sorry, Louisiana only wanted $500 to get on their ballot. Mm-hmm. I had, we had
0: yeah, $500. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but are some other states more restrictive when it comes to the monetary requirement?
1: They are. But I also think, again, this is very helpful. It's a time of the times people want Donald Trump to run and they don't know if he would be able to do so as a GOP person. So they are not making it uncomfortable in case he must do so. This is the perfect time for a candidate like me. All the stars and everything are lining up because to preserve corruption, they are willing to bend over backwards. Mm -hmm. And that's not to imply that only Donald Trump is corrupt because a lot of things were wrong when Obama was in office. And I would oh, pro- No doubt. like Mich- Michigan, it still doesn't have clean water and that girl could drive.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the Unicorn Party. Are you the founder of the Unicorn Party?
1: So I I definitely got together with a group of people and suggested that they started. I did create the name, the idea, but okay. I am not legally the founder just the, like, I came up with the idea, but legally on paper, I'm not an original board member.
0: And um, how does the Unicorn Party define itself as far as um, principles? Are there any guiding principles to the Unicorn Party?
1: It's unity without uniformity. So it's a united leftist group, but if you're a Republican and you think people should have basic human rights, come on with us. If you are a a Democrat, that you think people should have basic human rights, Come on with us. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, or who you do it with. If you believe that everyone deserves a place to sleep at night of quality, if I wouldn't stay there, I wouldn't make somebody else stay there. A place of quality, healthcare to provide and take care of or maintain their body, and education so they have the ability to either go into a trade that they love or pursue academia. That is the kind of beliefs that we have. If you are on board with those beliefs, then you're a unicorn. If you're not, you know, you're somebody else.
0: Would you agree that that philosophy also entails um, horizontalism?
1: Now, I'm a beautiful person, so I might not be smart enough. What do you mean by horizontal?
0: Horizontalism, where there's really not a hierarchy Um, when it comes to decision making. um, It's it's more or less um, decided on between everybody.
1: Yes. So we operate even in on my campaign and in the Unicorn Party during its establishment, everything is a flat matrix. So we originally had, it was me and another candidate. He didn't make it, uh, they severed ties, whatever. But he he started with us and we started at the same time. Everyone, if you're in the room, no one's voice is greater than anyone else's. Now, let me not lie, because this campaign has my name on it, (laughs) there are some things that I don't wanna do. Like there was another, there was a day recently where my man, one of the campaign managers was like, there's a Wendy's challenge and we want you to do it so you can get some notoriety. And I was like, I am not comfortable with this. And then we, you know what I'm saying? So like, there's like that kind of thing. I can veto what we do, but there are weeks when they're like, oh, well, this is what we're doing as a team. And then I go with it. My voice is not any greater than anybody else's. I'm just the figurehead for what we're doing currently.
0: Okay. Okay. Thanks for those clarifications. That That helps a lot um I I spoke with Hashaki Nichols who's also run for president and apparently when you declare as an independent you have to run under some kind of a platform Mm -hmm. and and that was news to me because I was like are you serious like you have to that's crazy so you basically creating a political party from scratch
1: yes we created a, a political I was a part of creating a political party from scratch like I am, every day, I am like I'm bragging to myself, like my self-esteem is off the roof because I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. The people who are working on this campaign alongside of me, we are literally making history, like making history. Um, like we get to contact Guinness and let them know at the end of this, like things are happening that have never happened before with our political party. We are the first political party to have an entire platform that is available with audio ability for people who are hard of hearing. We are the first political party to have visual components. So if you can't read, it can be read to you. We are the only political party talking about any kind of ADA compliance across the entire country. We are the only party to talk about giving universal health care as a, not a negotiation piece, as a stop. Like this is a thing that has to happen. It's non-negotiable. We are the only people talking about that.
0: I, I tell you, um, Sherman's website is is, is is, like I said, I love using beautiful because that's kind of like the slogan of our pod, but um it really is a beautiful website. and it is very visual, graphic. it's accommodating. And um, that was one of the first things I noticed when I was looking over it um months ago. And um I've tried to do a good job of vetting people before they come onto the pod and to the forum because um I, honestly, I'm all about people running for public office. I don't platform Democrats and Republicans running for public office because they already have the shine. Um, mm-hmm. Why am I gonna perpetuate something? I think that's part of the problem, honestly, like just this same revolving door of politics. I mean, they're basically there to acquire power, keep the power. They don't want third party um, independent people um, to ruin their party, to ruin their corruption game and stuff. And so I try to bring people on that are outside of that, That and Personally, I believe that they have fresher ideas. Like all the people that I've interviewed, that even that I disagree with on some issues, but it's their um moment to shine. This they, they're still better than anything that the Democrats and Republicans have ever offered in my life. I mean, I'm I'm just being serious. Just if you talk listen to, to if all these people talk, they're just great ideas and people have actually thought about the ideas. And it's not just a talking point or just like, oh. Let me make this statement to appease the audience. And I think something you said earlier about just um, not only just the literacy and just um comprehending things, our political competence is is very low in the United States. I mean, otherwise, we wouldn't be in this situation. And um the fact that you take the time to to go into detail about your policy platforms is just something that most people aren't doing that's running for public office. And so, again, um, from the forum to you, we appreciate people that are actually um, deep diving into these issues and not just cutting corners. I mean, we need people to give principal views. And something else you said that I liked is um, we shouldn't have pre-planned questions and stuff. If, if you're running for public office, you you should have a grasp of. You don't have all the answers, but you should have a view on the situation if you're serving the people. And so again, I co-sign almost all of what I've heard you say and stuff. Um, I'm not going to get into an argument with you on here because I just want to learn more about you and your platform, but I did want to get into your universal basic income, um, I guess, premise. How, w- how would this come about? How would this come to fruition? Um, who's going to fund it? And how does everyone get the money?
1: Okay. So what we are doing is cutting Social Security. And it it's something that people have talked about for years. It is something that hurts young people. I have contributed to social security my entire life. And I probably will, it will not be there when I'm old enough to claim it. It's not a good program for us. So the first thing we would do is end social security for anyone that is not disabled. And that is a that money comes from social security. And so I have to be completely, you know, people who get SSDI will still get their benefits people who used to get social security will get universal basic income. Now, one of the things that we are doing that's going to make government a lot cheaper is we are gonna close a lot of these superfluous programs and organizations. For honest, to be transparent, the Bureau of Land Management, they spend millions of dollars a year to murder horses. When we could do something Mm -hmm. with those horses, like therapy pets, we could use those horses for more holistic farming. We could do a lot of things with those animals besides pushing them off of a cliff. Like we are doing things in an expensive and inefficient way by like, so that's where some of that money will come. We will be closing a lot of these organizations like the FBI, the CIA, the NSA that are spying on us. I plan to keep the money that we have. I'm not increasing anybody's taxes. I'm actually eliminating property tax. And so like anybody who pays property tax, you wouldn't anymore. Anybody who makes less than $40,000, you would not pay taxes anymore. And so what we're doing is by utilizing the resources that we have and moving the money that is already there into places where people need them. We don't need more tanks because wars are not even fought on the ground like that. We have drones. We have other ways to end people's lives for people who are worried about national security. Another thing, bring all our troops home. If I stop sending money abroad to feed my soldiers and feed them here, we're fine. And again, if you're worried about natural security, there's nothing stopping us. If something should pop off from delivering all the ass whoopings or violence that you desire, we can still do that, but we don't have to do it again, inefficiently or financially costly through financial costly means. So that's where a lot of that money is going to come through just off the top.
0: So I guess it's just, um, it's just a terminology thing then, right? Because I mean, I get I get what you're saying as far as the program has already seen like it's best days, I think, behind. But you're almost rerouting, you're in a way reviving social security. I guess um you it's a security net, like universal yeah. basic income, right? Yes. I mean you're kind of reviving it and you're just saying the people should have the ability, like if they have kids or whatever, like because the childcare costs itself. I mean, I have two kids of my own. I mean, just Childcare costs. I'm a stay-at-home parent right now, which is good. But, I mean, having a UBI would be great as well.
1: So as part of your universal health care, respite care, i.e. child care, is covered under your health care now. So for mm-hmm. parents that are like, what about daycare? Nah, you get the professional. So the same way wealthy people have a, a nanny come in, mm-hmm. you have the ability to have a nanny come in and be with your children. Ideally providing people with universal basic income gets our work week from 40 hours down to 20. When you don't have to pay rent or a mortgage anymore, then you have money in your pocket. And we have a plan to make sure that, because right now we subsidize $514 billion on groceries. So that's Walmart wasted food, Air's Teeter wasted food, Publix wasted food. They tax, they, all that, they get off their taxes. So why don't I just take that $514 billion that we spend on food and just feed people for free? So now we've ended food insecurity. We've ended houselessness. I'm also converting public utilities back to what they were. Like we don't need these private entities anymore. We could do things to make our lives better and thrive that way you can be with your children and they can get the benefit of you being in the home and parents don't have to be stressed.
0: When you mentioned earlier these um, agencies, these three letter agencies, which ones exactly would you get rid of again? There's a
1: list, there's an entire list. If you go to my East, my website, if you go to my website, inside of the universal healthcare policy, there is an Excel spreadsheet with every agency that is going to be shut down.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I see it now. Um,
1: It also provides you with a link so you can see what that agency did, does, and how much that agency costs and where the funds are distributed. That is all on that spreadsheet because people are like, how are you paying for universal healthcare? That is my justification, my math, my numbers.
0: Okay, now that, because you definitely have the receipts and stuff, like you show how you're gonna cover everything. So I I won't get so much into that. Like I get it. if you're taking away unnecessary stuff, I mean the money's there. I mean I think that's that's just an excuse. Our honestly.
1: senators and elected officials do need, do not need a forty thousand dollars furniture allowance every time they are reelected.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. Um. Going back to the agencies again, um, is how do you, I guess, legally do that? Like, as as a president, do you have that authority to just like with a pen do so, that? Yeah. Like, how does that so, work?
1: Here's what's happening. I'm going to copy FDR. He wrote 1,076 executive orders. It will be on Congress and the Senate to sue me to undo the legal changes that I have made, along with those changes to provide you with housing, healthcare, and education. Please note, if a third party, when a third party wins, that's a general mandate from the people that this is what they want. So they should not be suing me because when I win, we all know what a, what a, what a hard journey this is going to be. So it's already, that's the evident will of the people. Second, Mm. I am going to be making sure that we do the term limits and the age cap. We are also going to be making sure that in order we do, you are not allowed to own any commodities as a public official. So if you are a governor, a mayor, a city council, you cannot own stocks. You also cannot become a lobbyist after you leave office. Those people who are also no longer gonna get their fat salaries, they will only be paid via another executive order the living index wage that their citizens within the districts they serve get. So if the in, so if the the uh, the wage is twenty dollars, your your elected official now only gets twenty dollars. Now I know people are like this is never going to happen. This is impossible. Roe versus Wade was overturned.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there's a lot of things that are possible. George Santos is in office. You know what I'm saying? Anything? anything, anything I'm serious. Um, uh, What's the guy who likes to sex traffic human, Matt Gates. You know what I'm saying? So anything can be done if you want to do it. The problem is those people have never wanted to do it. So what I'm going to be doing, writing all of these executive orders, we estimate it'll be over 3,000 of them. They have to sue us because the way we are going to write them is one at a time. They will not be able to link the cases together, which means each one gets its own due process. When you have all of those types of executive orders, who do you think which politician do you think is going to advocate for Americans before they advocate for their salary, before they advocate for their commodities, before they advocate for their ability to be lobbyists? Those will be the cases that they fight first. And while they're fighting those BS cases, we still will have signed the executive order to trigger new elections and to have time limits.
0: Yes, um, there's just so much spinning in my head with um, all the information that you told talking. I'm sorry, me. I
1: can slow down. No,
0: no, 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 you don't have to slow down. Oh, no, it's just it's stimulating. It's good. It's a good thing. Um, the, going back to the ballot access thing again—not necessarily ballot access, but access in general—you don't have to reveal much strategy if you don't want to. But it how do you plan on curving this whole um, idea of the mainstream media when it comes to suppression of candidacies? Because- I
1: don't—I'm I'm not going to deal with them. The the Montgomery bus boycott didn't happen through TV; it happened through average citizens who were pissed off and talked to somebody. If you guys, the listeners, or people in the world can't say, hey, there's an uh, individual, almost curse I didn't mean to. No, uh, if y'all can't get together and say, you know there's a person that wants to pay you to live in America, we pay people to live in Alaska, there's already precedent for these things. It's just, let's give it to all the people. You see what I'm saying? So if y'all cannot collectively, like, you know there's somebody who wants to pay us, all we gotta do is go vote on November 5th. That's our, our we national day to protest, November 5th we want to have no more mortgage, show up on this day, do this thing. It takes 20 minutes. It, well, once you're in the booth, you know, if they're going to try to keep lines long. We will have to get creative on that part. But my audience, the people, real Americans don't watch TV. You know why? Because they don't have time. They're at work or on the way to work or sleep. Like we don't have the kind of life that we are pretending to live. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be relying on people to do what people do. Pretend, pretend I am as interesting as Will Smith smacking Chris Rock, and the word will get out.
0: Yeah, um, I guess you make a point about the revolution will not be televised. Uh, that that's definitely a very good point. Um, that's the that's the thing; it has to start from the ground up. It can't be the other way around. And so that is an interesting way to look at it. Um, and I think that there is a lot of um underlying tension. It's just a matter of someone rising up and, and getting the people to rise with them um, and to go. One of the
1: that. things that we're going to do to meet the people, right? Because I know it's it's not enough. Like I said, we're going on the road. But while we're going on the road, the way we are going on the road, the way this whole campaign is being funded, unlike any other political campaign, by all means, if you have 2,900, that's the max donation, please send it in. But the way we are going to do this is feeding people. We are actually Going to be through from through the campaign bus, selling food, raising the money ourselves through our own labor. And if you are houseless, if you are hungry, we will feed you too. I'll pay for that. We are going to, we are going to demonstrate that there's nothing wrong with a little fortitude. Feeding people is the best way that I can talk about my campaign. Earn their, you know, earn their opinions. And uh, I'm not begging for anything. I'm showing you that I'm determined to do this for you through you and with. You. So that's gonna be something that people talk about. We're pretty confident about that. There's no other politician feeding the hungry, literally.
0: No, um, I am proud to say that I have, um, especially two people that has been on the forum running for a president um, in public office that are definitely, they have that angle Constance Every, she's running for gov, not governor. She she did run for governor for, formerly, but she's running for mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. And um, she has two nonprofit organizations. One is Sleeves for Needs, where um, she was homeless herself for years, and um, and she tries to help people with um, just food, water, uh, shelter, everything else. And um, Brittany Jones is running for president. She makes it a point to um. Talk about houselessness as well, along with yourself, and um, so it's good to have those kind of perspectives, um, and it shows that your organizing spirit is there, because I think a lot of this is just a matter of just going out and doing it, you know, going out and meeting the people where they are, and um, the, the the political machines basically have it to where they just buy people off. I guess they just they throw money at something, and they think that that's going to cause people. they throw money. In return for your vote, but you're actually offering a service to people, a relatable experience, to where people can, you know, warm up and maybe consider voting for you. um I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So you like, say you're going to, you say you so, you say you're going to start your campaign when you're going to launch it, um, as are, far as going on the road.
1: Lexington, Kentucky is our first stop, June 23rd, mm-hmm. and then there is a stop every weekend thereafter. The second weekend is Louisville, Kentucky, and then followed on like it's a, there's a date.
0: Mm-hmm. And if I understand this right, running as an independent, you can technically campaign all the way up until the last second. Yes, I can. Without any restrictions whatsoever.
1: Yes, you're right. That's how we, started. we started early, start early, write the platform, get contributions from everyone. I didn't write these policies by myself, a team of people who worked for me, we all wrote these together. It was public. Um, people were able to come. Uh, they should all be available like on our Reddit if you want to see the old meetings. Everything we've done, the whole how we got here is available on our Twitch, definitely available on our YouTube if you can't find it. So it's not like we just made this, up. like it's it's all very thought out. Um, and that's why we thought about it. Like we should be giving back. It's very easy for a politician to say, hey, you send me money, right? But right now that politician is ignorant to the fact that you don't have any money. You barely have money for the food that you do have. So what do I look like while you are currently experiencing hardships, asking you to give me more money for nothing at all? We can't do that. That's not who our base is. That's not who the average American is. And so that's why we are actively going out to do the work right now.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: why I said, if you are someone that doesn't even like me, don't like my platform, still come get something to eat. Because I, when I'm elected, I'm going to feed you anywhere. Might as well start now.
0: I have, um, before we get into some more specific positions that you have, um, I did want to kind of get a philosophical perspective from you because uh, you do identify as a socialist. Mm -hmm. Um, I identify as a left libertarian or a libertarian socialist. Um, But I'm just curious as to um, how do you view government and what do you believe is the purpose of government and what should those functions be?
1: So I want to say I'm more of a pan-African socialism kind of person. I actually have always believed that we never needed government. The village did what the village was supposed to do. Now, I never, but it wasn't looked at like an authority. Like these people, we all got together collectively and the community decided this is what was going to happen. Right, wrong, or indifferent. That's what the community did. I'm for those kinds of things. I believe that every neighborhood should be self-sufficient. Every neighborhood should have a medical facility, every everything within that community. So Um, one big thing, I don't believe in prisons, right? So we would abolish prisons and we would abolish police. That means that community policing, community watching, that would come from the individuals that live within that that community. And for anybody that's curious, there is on my website an exact policy of how that is done, Mm -hmm. what we do with the police. The people who are currently police can still be police, just in your neighborhood where they live with you and your children. They just can't be, if they don't live in this neighborhood, They cannot be over here with me and mine, So that is one of the things. We let the village decide to run itself because there might be a homogeny in whatever they got going on. As long as you're not being a bigot and harming people or infringing on their rights, we should let you live. And that's what I think we should do. It should be communal again. Big government, because it's here and now, we have the technology to make it a very, very slim company because people want to see it as a company, right? but actually providing services for the individual system. I mean, the system we're part of. If you have an issue with the IRS, you can't call anybody, really. We can't get anybody on the phone. Now, there's supposed to be 83,000 new people being hired for that. But we do not, in this big old central government-having individual, have one customer service number. Why not? We have the technology to do that. We have the tech. Now, we could do Slack. There is a way to track everybody in this country's problems. I have challenged people to submit to us, tell us a problem where where you live. We will call and report the potholes for you so we can see and demonstrate to you how your government does not work for you. But if you had a place that was willing to take your issues, be accountable for them, our government could be something else. It should be a vehicle of support for the people. And I know people are like, well, it shouldn't be about taking care of people. It has to be now because for so long, it didn't take care of the people. It didn't allow the regulation to prevent the abuse of the people. And so now, no matter what the founding fathers decided they wanted this to be, the people now do need to be taken care of.
0: Mm-hmm. I, um, it's so crazy. You actually brought up, I was gonna talk those specific issues. The first two are gonna be um, public safety policing and the environment. And you already touched on the Boston police is the first thing you said when, uh, as far as the government, the function of government, I urge my audience and I think my audience is a pretty astute audience. And they've kind of gotten used to like not being so caught up with the terminologies. They don't get scared when they hear communism, socialism, abolish, defund. I mean, I just think that we don't have free thought in the country anymore or like we used to. We're so reactionary now to everything. Anytime we see a word, we don't ever consider the perspective that may be different from yours. Because we already have our level of just anxiety so high and insecurity so high, we just don't we just automatically assume that your neighbor or the person that you're trying to connect with they're just not going to get you they're not going to understand you and so we shouldn't be frightened by words and 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 you, just by you clarifying that about the community policing aspect should already alleviate most people's anxiety that they have when they hear the word abolish they just People lose their minds. It's just a different way of doing things. That's it's it. um, no one's taking things away from you. Not I mean, enough. it's a security. Making it, better,
1: making it cheaper, more affordable. Mm-hmm. Why should I pay someone to sit in a police cruiser all day when I got a nosy neighbor exactly. across the street who does it for free? I can cut her half the check and let her watch the community. Like, this is stuff that you guys already know. This is mm-hmm. stuff we already do. During COVID, it was the best time to see community members taking care of community members. We saw that. For anybody that says that America is selfish, you're crazy because it's not. The number one crime in the United States of America is wage theft, perpetuated by the number one employers in this country. You guys know them as Walmart, Amazon, Disney, yes, that Disney. What They wanted them too. They mm-hmm. do not take care of their employees. And so they create some of the biggest crimes. If you want to talk about preventing crime in America, we start with that wage that let people get paid what they are worth what they are owed that's
0: that's that's great um so we talked a little bit about policing I think the audience understands your stance on um the idea of community police and that makes sense so I can only assume that as far as like the questions about defunding the police w- um where would that money go that's currently going to all these um it
1: will go to the neighborhood for
0: instance for instance just a cruiser sitting on the corner, that person's we're paying tax base pay of funding that someone to basically just sit around in a car and look for for things, to, I guess, to happen.
1: So what would happen to those vehicles that we've already spent? Those vehicles become community vehicles. So similar to how um, you can have, if you need a bicycle, you just pull out the key and you, you drive the bicycle, you park it somewhere and the next person can pick up the bike. We're going to do that with those cars. We don't need all those police cars. So those police cars will become community cars. If you need to drive it, you pick it up, you drive it. Because of the way we would change out some of the engines, the gas and stuff would not be all that crazy. The same way those little scooters around different cities are maintained is the same way that cars can be done just like that. So half of those vehicles automatically go back to the public who paid for them and now have the ability to use them. But because we are making everything ADA compliant, Um, we will not have as many vehicles on the road. So those vehicles can go to people who need them for mobility and do not have them. People who have wheelchairs, a lot of the things that happen to people with disabilities are because they have no way to be mobile. So that's going to happen. We would be spreading those to people who are in need. Um, Police officers, they shouldn't need cars because they'll be walking mixed walkable neighborhoods. They don't need to sit in a cruiser, right? Uh, Because we're abolishing prisons, They don't need to take them to a jail. We need to probably remove them from a situation that's hostile and calm them down, but they don't need to be locked in a room. You just take them back home and then the community will come together and decide what's going to happen based on whatever happened. That's just the easiest way to do it. Let the people who live with this, live with it, determine what happens to it. And by being able to give people more time at home, there's more people, there's less crime now. Everybody's at home. How are you going to break into a house when it's somebody sitting there? If you have your (laughs) needs met, you're usually not committing crime. You're doing a hobby for people who like to do things. We need to put America back to work. So we need to build a rail system that goes from the East Coast to the West Coast, the West Coast to the East Coast. We have that technology. We have that funds. The only reason we don't do it is because we prop up the auto industry. And so again, by me being a politician that doesn't have ties to corporate people, nobody but the people who I served food physically funded this campaign, nobody will run me. And what that means is we can go and actually do the things that America needs.
0: I think I understand your views on the drug war because a lot of this stuff is interconnected. I don't the frustr the most frustrating thing about my friends, and I'm not gonna throw them under the bus. I mean, they could probably read between the lines, but the most frustrating thing is that these things that we're discussing are all so connected. And so it's like I that's why I don't I don't know how anyone can justify supporting the two-part is just just on the stuff we've already discussed um there's just no consistency like I don't know how you can be pro-war in one aspect and then be like oh but Jasmine makes total sense when it comes to community policing and so I'm okay so do you realize how all this stuff is tied like the military the intelligence agencies the police that you know about like the the police in the cars right now it's just, like, it just doesn't make sense The contradictions. And so hopefully we can lower these contradictory elements by um, just having consistency. We just need consistency. And so I can only think that you are at least for decriminalizing drugs,
1: decriminalizing all drugs, decriminalizing all drugs. but, but we will be putting a safe use center within every zip code, every zip code. We're like, We have, we have more people on drugs, hard drugs than like, and I'm not just talking weed. We have people on real stuff out here and they're people who live in your neighborhood and are functioning just as, just as wonderful as you and I, not every addict looks the same. So we Mm -hmm. need to put safe use centers in every zip code. On top of that, we need to put a medical facility in every zip code. And that means a medical facility that is prepared to handle your physical, your mental, your dental, and your vision. When I was living in Korea, the first thing they do when you're living there, you're not just visiting, you get off the bus because you, uh, you get you go to the airport, you get on the bus, you get off the bus, they take you to the hospital. You get a full physical, dental and vision all at the same time. It all happens in the same space and it didn't cost me more than $20. Mm. That's how it should be for our people. Except in America, in the system that we've written, it would be a $0 copay. You wouldn't pay anything.
0: Mm-hmm. And um. Something when I was watching the debate between yourself and Mike Tamat, you both t- seem to agree on the whole idea of immigration. Like we need to open up the country. Like um, should be open borders. Um, I think this system also incentivizes. We see people outside of the country as competitors. They're like other people, and I think that's why this war propaganda is so effective. Is because. We've demonized anyone that's outside of our space. Like it's just such a, a gang mentality, just like, this is my turf, and then their turf is over there, um, signified by these imaginary boundaries that we call countries.
1: Right. So one of the things I'll be transparent about, every every trade deal that we have, when I'm elected, we must renegotiate, not from a place of white imperialism. We must renegotiate with all of our partners around the world because that is how we actually give people a fair deal and begin to alleviate some of this global animosity. We are no longer, not that we ever were, equipped <laughs> to be the police of the world. What we need to do is go ahead, make our amends, and sit down for a little bit. Our house is in total disarray. We have people who don't have water that is clean in this country. We have people who don't have a good mental health. Um, my foreign policy for anybody that's curious is already posted with an option to listen to it as well please take a look but we would be renegotiating every trade policy and we would also at the same time because of those policies be doing an entire audit on our government
0: Mm. as far as um your views on the environment um i talked to tina landis on episode 35 she's affiliated with the party for socialism and liberation and um there seems to be a lot of um, concordance when it comes to um, wind and solar, but not so much the water aspect. I guess um, I've heard a lot about nuclear. This has come up so much. Like I've never heard this much talk about nuclear energy. Um, I'm curious as, as far as where you stand on um, the proposal that the PSL likes to run on, which is wind, water and solar versus Um, What would be your view when it comes to getting rid of the fossil fuel industry, just like not even using fossil fuels and and everything else?
1: So, right. I am a zero fossil fuel industry candidate. My entire infrastructure and environmental policy is posted. Every home in the United States of America, because we're taking away the rent and the mortgage, so even the homes that you live in, you own your home, you live in it. Your home would be provided and converted, so we would come in and we would put, depending on where you live, solar panels or wind energy. Every home, but not a large turbine like you see. They're now dual heat, double helixes and little circles. They look like little fans. Um, Every home would be affixed with that. Every home would be getting an atmospheric pressure generator, so you could have clean water. Every home. So, like now that we're provided, we don't need as much cars. We're not going to just have cars that run on gas. We are going to try to eliminate that. There are other types of engines that we can use. I mentioned the, re- the train system earlier. Part of that is to remove the cars off the road. You don't need as much gas if you have don't have as many people driving. Again, making sure everything is ADA compliant. That means neighborhoods are now mixed walkable communities. We do not need to rely on all of the the things that cause us to have to need fossil fuels, right? If your house and you're in an area where we can do it with wind energy, then you're no longer running a gas. So you're no longer running a bunch of electricity. You don't need those things. You don't need as much oil. So that's going to happen. We do a mixed approach based on the region that you live in. And again, if you check the policy, I think there are even diagrams that show you which areas will be best. We are even we even have a way to really revitalize uh, the deserts by putting solar panels so that there's an area that can form condensation so life can grow in the deserts. We can do all of these things. We have to embrace the technology that is available to us now and stop relying on technology from 20 years ago.
0: Absolutely. Um, So as far as prioritizing those non, or or those um, renewable sources of energy, um, do you see any point of nuclear, I guess,
1: We do use nuclear as well, Okay, include how we store it. Nuclear, the reason we had problems with nuclear power before is because people cut corners. People were not paying attention. We did not have trained people doing it. And for anybody that's like, well, you know, you gotta go to school, you don't. A lot of the jobs we have with the technology we have, we have to train people on how to push buttons and read screens. That is where we are at. Our technology is so advanced, it helps us create new technology. Anyone that we teach the value of environmental safety and how to operate this equipment without, and this is a vital thing. If you say that it needs five people to function, there will never be a day where there's four people. There will never be a day that there's three people. Because we are so profit driven, they're always trying to give us the best bang for their buck. No, we're gonna fully fund everything so things function the way they're supposed to, so things can be safe. Nuclear done well is not dangerous.
0: I just, I get, I get afraid because of just, um, we, we know the the catastrophe that could happen if, if there was something. Of course. Um, and just maybe I'm just operating within the context of what we have to work with right now. I mean, just like with the East Palestinians and the Hurricane Katrina's and just the Detroit, the Flint, Michigan's, just all these environmental crises that they, they, they just happen over and over and over. It seems like,
1: But all those crises are happening because no one is repairing our infrastructure. If you like, I mean, like, not to be funny, like, how can we we are living in a system where people are perpetuating their own problems? If you're the politician and you take money or do a bond measure to start funding something, but that money never makes it to fix that bridge, you now have bridge collapses. If you're trying, like, the problem we have is they're trying to provide a profit motive for something that there shouldn't be a profit motive. For the American people, everything should be fully funded when it comes to the American people. And that's the disconnect. That is not happening. It's always more for me and less for thee. It's not okay. We must stop it.
0: Operating under that premise of the profit, I, I totally agree with you, Jasmine. Um, I, I'm curious about your response to this. I think you're the perfect person to ask. I've never asked this question before, but since we talked about water, um how how do we possibly eradicate these um bottled water companies? like the, the the fact that people can sell water in a bottle and make money off of it something as basic as water is just sickening to me. Just think, and then the plastic on top of it, you know, it's just um how how do we, if you were in office, how would you deal with that situation like to where so um, the water did there? making money
1: off of so that's where we stop subsidizing these companies there will be no more corporate bailouts there will be no more corporate subsidies that's one but before i was saying that every home is being fixed with an atmospheric generator what that does is that provides you with water from the atmosphere so the dirty pipes that you're currently using you're not it's going to come from the atmosphere it's going to reduce some of the problems we have in our ozone with too much stuff in the atmosphere, that's going to help pull a lot of that that water out of the air, providing us with fresh, clean water. Another thing, those companies are not going to want to function when they realize we are applying triple bottom line accounting to every entity. Once we stop subsidizing them and we apply triple bottom line accounting going back 37 years for every company that had a violation, we're going to have tons of money and they're going to have very little time to sell bottled water anymore. There's too many microplastics.
0: I see you also, and like I said, besides Brittany Jones, you're the only candidate that I know of that has like like strong views on sex work. Um, The very first episode we did on Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum talked about sex work to a certain degree. Um, The guest I brought on was from Spain. We talked about sex work in Spain and how they're trying to criminalize it there. Um, You say decriminalize sex work Um, would you be for just legalizing it just all out? So uh,
1: we met with sex workers themselves to ask about that policy, and they explicitly requested decriminalization, not legalization. Depending on different states, there's nuance to it, and so decriminalization is safer for them, their bodies, and the people that they would be customers with decriminalization is safer. We are not currently as a society mature enough to handle it legally so we decriminalize it it comes out to be the same but it protects people until we can get a new constitution there are some states that have a lot of blue laws on the books like michigan has a law about um indecency a thousand dollar fine plus time in jail so until all of those types of laws have been eradicated it is safer to decriminalize
0: okay and um going back to the I don't even like putting cannabis in the drug conversation because it's really not a drug.
1: Because That's covered under your universal health care. So that way, children who need it and have seizures can get it as well.
0: How do um, is it as simple as executive order when it comes to implementing cannabis yeah. across yeah. the country?
1: Because so remember, when George Bush Jr. was in office, we had times of war, the Patriot Act, right? That gave you a lot of presidential powers that have never been revoked. Mm -hmm. Now, on top of that, let's say a president gets in office and they declare a state of emergency, a national crisis. That's an even more, that's an even, legal scholars have told us, that's a a whole new level of things you can do without permission from Congress or the Senate. The, when I'm in office, I will be saying that we are in a state of emergency. Because of our houselessness problem, we are in a state of emergency. That is enough basic justification to do everything that I want to do. Now, between now and when I'm elected, the Congress and the Senate are more than welcome to legally get together and change those rules, but they mm-hmm. won't and they will not have enough time.
0: As far as the houselessness um, crisis that we have, can you, can you work us through that again as far as um, what would be the immediate step to yes. um, providing that for everybody?
1: So the very first step is that uh, the day after we announce my victory, um, there will be a website to open up and people will be able to put all their information in to start looking for the houses. It'll work just like a Zillow or an Airbnb app now works. The first group of people, so the first wave of people, six months, they all, we we end houses in 90 days. Anyone who is houseless, all the homes that are on the market currently for sale, the government buys them. The government buys them and just puts people who say, I'm George. I don't have nowhere to live. George, this is your house. This is your key. Those houses are already on the market. They're already for sale. And we know they're already up to code. So anyone who's houseless is moving into that house. The next wave of people after that first group, and this does take 90 days because of escrow and paperwork. So I'll be inaugurated on the 1st of January. That's not really the inauguration date, but just go with me. Inaugurated on the 1st day of January. Sales won't go through. We can't buy the houses until the second day of January because I've had to write the executive order. Then three months from that date, the 90 days, we will close and we will house everyone. In the meantime, we will be putting people up in hotels, stimulating the economy for that time. There will be no houseless person after day two of my my election, uh, once I'm inaugurated. Everyone will go into a hotel of wherever they're choosing. We will foot the bill. And Everybody's like, we can't afford it. Yes, we can just pretend it's a war. We have a war against capitalism's bullshit. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we have a war against capitalism's bullshit. Capitalism only works if you can exploit somebody. So immediately, one of the remedies that we're going to provide for people is housing. People knowing now that I will not be put on the street, whether I work or not, that is a very, very bold thing. Your boss at Amazon can't abuse you. That guy who you're working with, he can no longer grope you. Do you see what I'm saying? Like these things, now you have a leg to stand on. You're not staying there because you have to suffer in science because you have a family to feed. That puts us on a more even playing field. And that's when the free market's going to be able to take off, when they can't manipulate or force you into labor.
0: Okay, that's interesting. You said that um, you say you're not an anti-capitalist.
1: Yeah, because I won't win an election that way. If I say I'm anti-capitalist, nobody who knows nothing about politics is going to vote for me.
0: That makes sense.
1: Oh, I want to win. I've never Don't heard
0: it explained that way before. I really haven't that that S really is really comforting actually, because um it really takes the label away. You just simply um and you're explaining how you're gonna do it. I never thought about it like that just um because everything we talked about up to this point, I was like, oh God, she's not she's not at that capitalist, but I guess you got have a point as far as your actions.
1: Because, I mean, the general public, we talk about people can't read in this country. So if I come and go, I'm anti-capitalist, they hear, they don't want me to make money. They immediately forget that I'm giving them reparations. If you are Black, you match the phenotype and genotype. If you are over the age of 16, you get UBI. They are automatic, automatically, they forget all of that. That index living wage that comes, they forget that. Once you say anti-capitalist, that's not what I'm here for. I'm running to provide people with their basic needs. I happen to be a pan-African socialist. But none of my policies are anti-capitalist. Everything I've talked about stimulates the economy and puts people to work, creates jobs. Building a rail system from one country, that puts uh, Detroit City where the steel was made, that puts them back to work because steel runs trains. Mm
0: -hmm. Having
1: cannabis, that gets people out of prisons because we're abolishing it. Getting kids medicine they need. Alabama is a death trap. They don't have a lot of jobs. They don't have a lot of opportunity, but they have a lot of farmland. They got a lot of sun. We should be growing cannabis there. Why are we not? Because we're selfish. We don't want people to be okay. I'm funding reparations through cannabis sales, which again is covered through your universal health care, so it'll be delivered to your house too. Oh,
0: guys, there's so much you just said there. Um, so yes, and so cannabis has so many different implications. Um, not just the healthcare system, but everything from the justice. It's tied to everything, and um, it would. It would definitely affect the pharmaceutical companies more than anybody when you talk about this capitalism. And I just don't know why people aren't connecting these dots. I mean, we we all know people who have smoked weed that are actively smoking it. And it's like, why are we pretending that weed is on the same level as some of these other drugs? I don't care how conservative you are or anything. It's just like, let's stop with the nonsense and just accept that cannabis is not going to go anywhere. Cannabis is a normal part of life. Mm -hmm. Um, cannabis helps people it helped me get my phd i had anxiety episodes that were crazy and i'd never really had experienced anxiety before um to that degree until i got into a phd program and it honestly was the saving grace for me when it came to having productive sessions finishing my phd i've shared this story because i think that there's just too many um myths around cannabis and they need to be debunked and Cannabis needs to be available right now for everybody that needs it for their healthcare needs. And um, and I like it you that you're tying that into the healthcare discussion and um and really just basic human rights. I mean, because oh. with that, I mean the pharmaceutical companies can't just sell their drugs to you the same way anymore. But I was curious about the houselessness thing. How does that affect, I guess, um, the apartment industry? Um, my wife is a property manager manager, for instance. And How does that affect um apartments and rentals and all that stuff?
1: So property managers will still be managing that property. They just won't be collected a check on the first. We are decommodifying housing. It will no mm. longer cost money in the United States to live anywhere. So we are going to make sure because and I'm going to be transparent, we're going to use eminent domain to buy every domicile that people live in. And if you are like, you can't do that, Legally, we can, because eminent domain, one, the federal government has never lost a case of eminent domain. For some reason, things just fall into place. As long as it's for public good, we are paying you as well, and you get to remain there. You're not going to win that case. We are also going to fix your homes and upgrade them. But so what will happen is landlords will be out of business. But luckily for them, we have free education and they can go back to school and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and start a new career. Or with UBI and no mortgage and no rent, they could just stay at home and enjoy their lap, lap of luxury.
0: Mm. So you wouldn't be paying a mortgage on a house at all?
1: Mm. Nope. And if you did, we pay you back. You get your money back.
0: So, so everything, I am mean, basically like public education, um you could I could go to UT Knoxville not have to worry about a big loan
1: no zero loans zero loans you would just go to UT Knoxville be like hey what day can I show up and UT Knoxville of course they're committed to education I'm putting words in their mouth right now they would say you show up on Thursday that's where the opening is it's mm-hmm. time that we let people be who they are. There are some children who are right now in elementary school saying, I want to be a doctor. I only want to be a doctor. I need not sleep. I just want to take care of people. Doc stuff is really propaganda, children to be doctors. And that's fine. <laughs> and so we got kids that want to be doctors. Why should I take a child that's like, I want to be a doctor and put them in a program that they that, that's going to have things that are not related to what they want to do. We need to start listening to our people. If You've got a student that says, I want to be an artist then we don't need to put you in advanced calculus. We need to put you in as many art programs, as many drawing class, whatever kind of art medium you're working with. We need to furnish those. We are missing our Renaissance by being slaves to capitalism. I would rather, I am someone, I'm a delight. I deserve to be, you deserve to see me sitting beachside at a bar talking shit all day. That's what I'm good at. (laughs) That's what I'm good at. We should be doing the things that we're good at. Instead of selling people the dream, when you get old, you retire, then you live your life. That's a that's a joke. That's a trap and a trick, and I'm over it. We need people <laughs> to thrive, start living, not just going to work and and coming home, and occasionally going to a concert. That's not it.
0: It def- there's definitely, um, and I think you've seen it more than ever. Um, I say these last um, five years, I've seen it's just that, that's a depressive element to our society. And um, and people wonder why we have like all like the mass shootings and all this stuff going on. Um, that that's just a mental health crisis. I think that's just and it's latent in a lot of ways. It's not sometimes it's not um, it doesn't appear um, when you expect it to appear, but it's there always. And um, I think a lot of it is because people are so stressed out. Um, just the everyday workings. I mean. The divorce rates are out. Uh, j- they're just out of the roof right now. Um, just domestic violence is out of the roof. Um, just, and a lot of this stuff is because people just aren't happy and, and their basic needs aren't being met.
1: But I want to be transparent. So I, we've done the math and we do think once we are elected, there would be an increase in relationships ending and the divorce rate might go up because people are not going to be forced to live with people that they don't like anymore you now <laughs> can afford to go and live by yourself. No, I'm serious though, right? If there's, no rent, if there's no rent and there's no mortgage and the way the program is set up again in layers is houseless people first. People who are, are not houseless, but are in a dangerous relationship, a relationship that is domestic violence. They are, they, no, domestic violence people are included in the first wave. They're, they're considered houseless. But people who are in an unsafe housing location, I'm so sorry, I had it wrong. Phase two is people who are in unsafe housing location. People who are in a domestic violence, you are in phase one with the house's people. You will be able to go to any city, any state, and just pick the house you want to be in, right? You have UBI now that comes in. You will be able to buy your ticket to go wherever you want. You know what I'm saying? You're not paying a mortgage. You're not paying a rent. So you can start there, and you get the place, you move in, and the next month, you get your furniture. Like, there's different ways you can do to make your house your own. But the first thing is a lot of people are going to migrate to safety, Mm -hmm. right? And so the requirement on any house that you get off the app, which would be all the houses listed, not houses that have people in them, is that you'd have to stay there a minimum of six months. Unless, again, a domestic violence situation occurred or um, a fire or natural disaster, right? Then you just pick up and you go. We are going to have, again, people will be able to go wherever they need to to do what they want. And so I wanted to be transparent. A lot of relationships, once I'm elected, probably will shift or change because people don't just have to stay with someone because they can't afford to not be with someone
0: interesting i never thought about it like that um but thanks for that um i have three i guess they're not really burning questions but i do have three um areas i want to attack before we go uh today i um already got more or less an idea of your stances on um the community policing and you talked about abolishing the prison system okay so so people When they do get punished, um, there has to be a level to the severity of the punishment. So, how does that go? um, When we talk about people who are like murdering people and stuff, like where where do we draw the line when it when we talk about this um, prison complex?
1: If you murder someone, we will put you to death within 365 days. The death penalty ain't going nowhere. It's just oh, getting more wow. efficient and cheaper. Yeah, there's no reason to keep you alive. If you have housing, healthcare, education, mental health services, and you still posing a danger to the community in a you know in a less than thrilling way, if you harm more than three people, yeah, you'll put to death. We don't need to have big, expensive trials to know if you murdered somebody. And if anybody's like, well, "What about wrongly accused people?" We actually will have to provide actual, untainted ele- evidence before we just harm someone. Unlike our current justice system, where we have test kits that have never been tested. Mm-hmm. Another thing apart, my administration: we are going to test every kit in the United States. Mm-hmm. Every kit we are going to start making sure that predators are no longer protected. A lot of our laws on the books are written by people who are predators to protect mm-hmm. predators. Matt Gates is still in office if y'all want to try me. Like I'm dead ass. We have to start protecting our people and we can't do that if we're hiding the bigots and the cowards. So that's that's part of it.
0: Okay, that that makes sense. Um, but it is know. all
1: my policy. So you could read it like the different layers. That is already in there.
0: Yeah, I just, this is just more so to get the audience more or less um, um, up to the par with what's going on. And um, I, I had to I had to bring this up, not because you're a Black person, because I've asked most people about their views on reparations and the policies, like what policies would they implement. Um, most people have come up with some, some people haven't. I'm not going to out them people can watch all the episodes and draw their own conclusions as far as they, what people view on the issues. Um, before we even get into your views on reparations, um these so-called reparations, and I don't mean to reparations, uh, belittle reparations, I've just gotten to, I've almost reached a point when it comes to this issue of reparations. Um, someone that's pro-reparations, but it's just, um, I feel like it's been a dead end because people aren't serious about the proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, Where's your inspiration when it comes to reparations? Like, is this um, that that you follow as far as um, how this would be implemented into this system? Yes. Or do you just have your own views on reparations and what you would do?
1: So it's a little bit of both, right? I'm following the same precedent. We paid reparations to Japanese people. When we put them in internment camp, we paid reparations to slave owners. We have a history of paying reparations in this country. For some reason, though, we have not paid last. People ain't got their money yet. So my philosophy is that, and it's also written, uh, we will be paying everyone over the age of 16 that matches the phenotype and genotype. Um, we will be paying you $4,000 a month for it uh, starts the, It also starts the second month of my time in office. Um, All of the payments for reparations will be paid out within my term. A four-year period, we pay everybody. It amounts to about $192,000, what the price of a house is, because that's the price that you were denied. And so yes, you will have a 16-year-old that will have accumulated over $192,000 during my term. So those are actual monies. And please note, it will be adjusted for the inflation and things like that as time goes. But ideally right now with the math that we have, it's about $4,000 a month. That money comes from cannabis. It does not come from any taxpayer. I'm funding it with the thing that you're already using for your universal health care. So it's not coming out of anybody additional pockets. Once that is paid up, there's no more discussion. It's over with. We've had the reparations conversation and it's done.
0: Mm. Okay. Um, so $4,000 a month, you say? Starting at the age of 16?
1: Mm -hmm. For every person that matches the genotype. Plus, we do um, a specific coming from the continent of Africa. There is a specific uh, genealogy, so you will also know where you came from.
0: Okay. um, Why would the phenotype matter if the genotype checked out? So,
1: the lawyers said that I had to include phenotype, and I didn't question it. They wrote phenotype and genotype. So... I think that's for like the Rachel Dolezals of the world and things like that.
0: Yeah, but wouldn't a person technically just be black? I mean, based on the genotype? I mean, because that's where you're getting information from. Phenotype is just simply what people see.
1: No, I mean, both are in there, but for legalese, that's what we were told has to be put in. Oh, I got in. you.
0: But you were told it by who?
1: The our lawyers that work on the campaign. Like oh,
0: gotcha. We- okay. Okay. Um, the reason why I asked about the reparations is because um, I've actually tried to get someone who specifically studies reparations and wants to implement these policies into government, and I have not been able to get one person to, I did get one person to agree to do an interview, someone that actually lives in your state, and that person would not come on because of a stupid precondition of having to buy 25 of their books.
1: Yeah. And that's,
0: that's kind of, of you guys. And yes, I'm out in this person. This person's associated with Marianne Williamson. This person is a Black PhD, just like me. So I thought it was an absolute insult for them to agree to do the interview with their co author. But under one condition, I have to buy 25 of their books. So is is the agenda to actually educate people, to push reparations for Black people, or is it just to make money? Push your books money, like a lot of the
1: professors. Books. Books. It's to make money and push books. We set up so many committees. We set up so many panels so we can write a book to tell you about the panel and the committee we sat on. If we want to fix these problems, then we just fucking fix, flip and fix the problem. No, you're good.
0: You're good. Was, you can like,
1: for them. <laughs> I mean, like, like, seriously, like reparations, we, like, we have a history of paying it. Just pay it and people will shut the flip up and we'll move on. Like, like, for every white person that's like, I want a month. I'm here to give white people alabaster April. I'm tired of fighting with y'all. Give them a month. Let them have a month. White people, your month is April. Alabaster <laughs> April. We got Black History Month in February. Like, just give them April. Ain't nothing else going on. I believe in
0: equality. Give them a month. Mm-hmm. The the reparations discussion is, um. I, I like the way you definitely have a plan. And it's like, you you have the plan and it is what it is but it's just i think i think i guess i'm more frustrated because i just can't believe that we haven't made any progress at all from when this stuff was this stuff has been talked about for 45 50 years like like as a pretty big issue in congress That's- and the fact that it really hasn't made any traction like we're talking about studies forever like seriously she, Sheila Jackson Lee we I think we have a different something?
1: conversation though. I think so that would be a different conversation similar to if the government could, why don't they, right? That goes back to corruption. That goes back to feeding. We don't need a hundred committees to tell us to pay reparations. We paid reparations to the slave owners. We paid reparations to mm-hmm. other people. We pay reparations to people that are not even in this country. They just don't want to do it. or they And the people who are, went to go help them drank the Kool-Aid. So this is the fastest way to end the reparations conversation. If you are somebody that doesn't like any of my policies, but you're tired of hearing black people talk about reparations, vote Sherman in 2024. You have no more problems. Conversation will be over. And you get a
0: month. <laughs> um one thing we haven't talked about is um inflation. And I don't like to just bring it up mm-hmm. because um and that's why I conflict with a lot of my friends, especially my libertarian-leaning friends, because um, I think a lot of these situations are just excuses. Personally, um, but I have
1: an answer for you, I do have a way to combat inflation when you're ready. I'm gonna follow. Yeah yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to definitely get to that. But I'm just to my libertarian friends, stop using these. Um, stop getting so headstrong on like a few key issues, because I'm sorry, a lot of the libertarians are slipping. like they just. It's just too confined. Like you got to broaden your horizons a little bit um, when it comes to the issues, because the money is definitely there. Like the money is going somewhere, but no, but for you to answer the question, like what would be, I guess your immediate steps to combat inflation?
1: So I would be ending our relationship with the Fed just to be transparent. That's a terrible entity and they are ripping us off. So I would be ending our relationship with the Fed, but the Fed to combat re, uh, inflation, we have too many people in the workforce. So remember I was saying we currently have people working a 40 hour week and I want to take people to a 20 hour week that helps to break less people working. The difference between me and them is they want less people working without putting money in your pocket. I'm going to pay you to stay at home because mm. it'll help combat inflation automatically.
0: You know what's interesting? A lot of the stuff you're saying and, and I know the detractors may say, like, oh, guys, this sounds like that's a lot of promises that Sherman is talking about, just all these promises of um, houselessness ended, um, uh, the war on drugs ended, um, all this all this stuff just ended, like, people can go to school not have to pay anything, people can get their medical costs, like, that, are none. How do you sue those people? Because you are shrinking the economy in a way, or not the economy, the government.
1: Yes, um, we're getting a small I, government.
0: I think we that's didn't... the funny thing about it. People, socialists get a bad rep for being like these big proponents of government. I would actually argue, like if anything, you're making the government smaller and more efficient. Wouldn't you agree with that?
1: Yes, that, that is really what we are going to do. We are making the government smaller. It is too expensive. Like I would argue, this is not a campaign promise I'm making, but I would argue whoever comes after me, I'm only interested in one term. I'm not here for, I'm not a career politician. You get one term and then I'm gone. Um, I would argue that the person that comes after me should work on that, should work on making sure that our government isn't just smaller, but they get rid of the Senate because we don't need them anymore. Oh. It is financial costs that hurts us. They're not helping. The cooling saucer has let it go cold. So we are wasting. We're at a deficit. However, during my administration, I would not be able to make that move legally. We looked into it. I couldn't do it. It has to be whoever comes after me. Um, But you guys should get rid of the Senate. You definitely should. You don't need it. And it costs us money for nothing.
0: If people go back to episode eight, everything that Jasmine is talking about. I'm not saying that I said everything that Jasmine is saying, but these same points that Jasmine is making at a boss in the Senate and people are like, what are you talking about this? What is the purpose of the Senate if you think about it? Like, what is the purpose of it? I mean-
1: It, was, it was literally people. called the cooling saucer because Congress was so passionate. The Senate was literally designed to slow the process down.
0: hmm And it won't even end the filibuster. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is crazy because you know why, and I know people have heard this before from episode eight. Democrats and Republicans survive because of incrementalism. They want people to die. They're not interested in people having a home. They're not interested in people having clean water and shelter and everything else. They want, they want to keep their careers going while you suffer. Mm-hmm. They want the the things to go. And if you do get any kind of benefit from them they want to make it as slow as possible but what sherman is saying is that these things are going to be like that needs to be immediate attention on them and i I agree with that sentiment That needs to be immediate attention and all this um taking the time with the processes that's why things never get done i mean we have all these political prisoners caught up in the system and um it sounds like, based on what you're saying, you can just executive order a lot of this stuff.
1: But we can. So, through again, he would have, there's one more process, right? The Patriot Act gives us a little bit of privilege to do more loose things, loosey goosey, never repealed it. But then, that final, we're in like during the pandemic, if Donald Trump had done it, Joe Biden, the pandemic would have been the perfect excuse to call a national crisis and right these wrongs. But they never did. They do not want to, they don't give a flip. I will be the first person to do so because I'm actually trying to fix this country so I can tell everybody about it and hang out in bars. Like, I'm really just trying to get back to what my dream is, doing nothing. So the fastest way we do that is to make sure everybody around us is okay because we're a village, we're a community. We've got to do things for each other. Like we already on this campaign, if people need mutual aid, contact us. We are providing rent money. We are providing growth. Like we are helping people eat right now because you can't wait for me to get elected to do the right thing. If people are interested in helping with that on our Reddit, we keep the mutual aid information right there. If you're someone that you don't have to contact us, we post it. If you wanna donate to those people and then cash up or their Venmos or their PayPal, you do that privately, silently, and we don't talk about it. This is how we actually help people. If you have a larger thing, we'll do GoFundMes and we'll actively like when I go on different shows and stuff, actively promote you. But we have to come together as a people. Right now, we're also providing seeds for people. If you need to start your victory garden so you can feed your family, we were going to provide you with those seeds. Contact us. Our resident horticulturist will meet with you, see what you need for where you live, and get you the right seeds and, and help you with the soil so you can grow your own food until I'm in office.
0: Jasmine, there's so much more that I want to discuss with you, but the beauty of it is this we are more than welcome uh, we're more than open to extending another invitation to you and actually i was going to ask would you agree to being a part of a presidential candidate forum which would be like a debate um discussion with the field of candidates it would be seven people total, and you can would be check that out yeah why not of yeah. course we're going to try to organize that in the summer with a couple of other channels um one's going to be tracy carson's channel especially um she's a friend of the pod and um we're trying to collaborate with someone else but we want to make that happen to highlight the people outside of the duopoly and um people who have great fresh perspectives and i think that your perspectives would be great for um the forum just for the audience um to have that engagement and stuff so you say you would be open for something like that
1: as long so we do start the tour in june right so as long as we schedule it so it could be a remote thing and I could participate via Zoom. That would be that would be That's the easy way. Be, yeah, it
0: then- would be definitely through Zoom. And um we wouldn't want it to interfere with your tour for sure. Um, but we could coordinate the
1: Yeah, the- yeah. As long as you coordinated yeah. it, I could be here. I just wanted to be transparent about it. Like if you were like meet me in San Diego, I'd be like, I'm not going to, you know, San Diego for a couple months, that kind of thing. I wanted to just be. We could definitely, if you just the same way you scheduled this, you would schedule that and be like, by the way, mother flipper, there's going (laughs) to be a gang of folks. Like, it is what it is. I'm either ready to do the job that is a 24 hour job, seven days a week, or I'm not.
0: Mm -hmm. So, I think that makes seven candidates total audience for um, the upcoming uh, presidential debate um, with Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum, Tracy Carson's channel. And another channel, I think we're going to have to get with seven people. That's quite a few people um, just to have a way to collaborate and and do the questions and everything else. Um, But are there any final words that you want to give to my audience as far as uh, this episode 45, which was a wonderful episode? Uh, We've enjoyed having you on the show. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot from you. There's still a a, a lot that I need to learn from you and your campaign. I'm going to read even more about you and follow your interviews and stuff but is there anything that you want to conclude with
1: give yourself grace we all talk about how bad this government is but it's not us like i'm going to be 40 soon right we're just now realizing we are the adults there is nobody coming to save us our grandparents are currently at the wheel if you follow me down this road of analogy our grandparents are currently at the wheel driving our car over the cliff our parents are in the passenger seat too afraid, filled with anxiety to say, do, or stop them, which is why they didn't. And we are in the back seat, directly behind our grandparents trying to reach over the seat to stop the car from driving off the cliff. We, no matter where you sit on this issue, the people who are the most marginalized in this country are sick, are not being taken care of, our children are being abused. It doesn't matter how you feel about me or my platform. From any candidate that you listen to, you should demand the bare minimum. My website has all of my policies, how I pay for it, how it's executed. That should be the bare minimum from every candidate running for president of the United States. That should be the bare minimum for every candidate asking for your vote. If they can't put that work in or that labor in ahead of time, then they damn sure aren't going to do it for you. Stop accepting crumbs. Whether you vote for me or not, I'm still going to win because I'm amazing and I'm putting the work in and I'm doing all this different out of the box stuff. So I will win. But you really need to demand better. Stop accepting crumbs because that's all they give us now.
0: That's it. (laughs) And Jasmine, what would be the most efficient way, quickest way in case an audience member wants to ask you a question or the quickest way for them to contact you? What would be the best way to do that?
1: Sure. If you go to jasminsherman.com, you can schedule 30 minutes with me directly on my Calendly. So you look at your calendar, decide what day works with best for you. You select it and I show up just on a Zoom. If you are a person who's got another platform or podcast, you would select the interviewer journalist podcast section. And just like that, I show up. Um, we want to talk to regular Americans. You are the only person that I care about hearing from. You just have to have the guts to be heard. I would love to hear from single fathers because one of the policies that we don't have in place is how to handle uh, custody agreement issues, right? there are a lot of, there's a lot of issues with the way we are handling that. And I would love to talk to parents, single, married, partnered, who have ideas on amicable ways that we can put the children first in situations where the adults are no longer interested in each other. So that would be my ask for the community.
0: Wow, that's, that's really cool. Um, Is there any other besides your Jasmine Sherman website that you would like us to link?
1: Um, They all go to the same place. There's Fat Black okay. Socialist, Jasmine Sherman, 2024.com. It's all going to get you to where I'm at. We are That's why
0: Blamazon. I asked. I knew you had a lot of them.
1: Yeah, we're on every platform. Um, Like I'm on True Social. We're on Clapper. We're on Blamazon. We're everywhere. So if you can't find me, if there's a platform that you're on and I'm not on, email me and call me a liar so I can get on it. One of the biggest things that we have to do with our leaders or future leaders or trying to be leaders is actually hold them accountable. So if I tell you I'm gonna do something and I don't do it, then you should get me out of office within the ninety days that it took. Actually call people's bluffs. Don't make it okay for you to have campaign promises. That shouldn't be a thing. You either gonna do the job I hired you to do or we fire you. That is the attitude we need to go into it because when your job is done with you, they let you go. Let these politicians go.
0: Yes. Uh, on that note, I think we have a, a beautiful way to conclude um, to the people. Um, I just want to say that this was a wonderful episode 45 with Jasmine Sherman. They're running for president of the United States under the, Unifor- the Unicorn Party um, label as independent party. Um, follow Jasmine's information. Um, I'm going to put everything in the episode description. Um, again, Jasmine Sherman, based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Has an organization, Greater Charlotte, is, is what it's called.
1: It's Greater Charlotte Rise. Mm-hmm.
0: Greater Charlotte Rise. And um, if you don't mind, I'll link that into the episode description as well. And um, for episode 46, Beautiful People, I'm trying to think who we have on tap. I bl- we have Heather Berg coming up. We have S- Sarah Walk coming up. We have Medea Benjamin coming up from Code Pink. We have Norman Finkelstein coming up. So, we have a lot of guests, and my dad is going to be the episode 50, the final episode for season two of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. But this episode 45 is going to release um, tonight on YouTube, and it will probably be released on Spotify and all other podcasting platforms of your choice um, Saturday. Beautiful people, have a great day. And this was a wonderful conversation, episode 45. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you so much again.
1: Thank you, guys.